I'm excited today. We're going to kick off a new teaching series here for the next few weeks uh, in the summer, and we're calling it Summer of Proverbs. You might remember last year we did Summer in the Psalms. Uh, we just went to the next book of the Bible, Proverbs, right after that, and said, hey, let's spend a little bit of time in this book of the Bible. And uh, let me just tee it up a little bit right here now so that you kind of understand what we're doing. We're not going to go through the entirety of the book of Proverbs. Uh, you, you, you may know we like to go through books of the Bible. We spent a long time going through books like Hebrews or John and the fall, we're going we're gonna to go through every verse of the book of Daniel. But what we're going to do for the summertime is we're going to take selections from Proverbs. And actually, if you, if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll know it's a lot of little short sayings that can be arranged uh, around d- various topics, topics like money and relationships and work. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go thematically over the course of the summer through the book of Proverbs. We won't cover every verse. We won't cover every chapter, but it'll give us uh, a good opportunity to look at the wisdom of God. And that's really what today's teaching is about, is about the wisdom of God. Uh, and, and so I want to ground us in that. So before we do anything else, I'm going to invite Renee to come, and she is going to do our scripture reading for us. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to open there. And let's turn our hearts and attention now to God's Word. The Word of God, Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we give this time to you now. And God, I want to come before you and just confess that we all lack wisdom. And we all need your wisdom. And God, as we turn our attention to your word today, I ask and I pray that you would help me to communicate only that which is helpful and is truthful Uh, which is in line with uh, your word and led by your spirit. God, I pray you would give each and every one of us a heart that wants to receive your wisdom, hearts that want to receive instruction from you that we might live lives, not only a a life that is joyful and, and free from unnecessary pain and hardship, but God, ultimately a life that displays your glory and how good you are. I pray you'd be present with us in this time. We give this time to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. While I was um, on uh, this trip to Alaska, I watched a documentary. Surprise. Uh, I love documentaries. Uh, And I watched a documentary on something that was new to me, an idea that was new to me. Uh, The documentary was called Memory Games, in which they show you, and I'm not making this up, competitions where people from all around the world get together and they do competitive memorization. Anybody familiar with this? You heard of this? Okay, Billy, I figured you would. Yeah, that makes sense. So competitive memorization. So for example, there's things like they will show you a deck of cards. You have one minute to memorize the order of a deck of cards. They hand you a separate deck of cards that's all been shuffled, and you have to put that deck of cards back together in the right order. If anyone wants to play, we've got tables and cards out in the lobby after service. Uh, They would do other ones where, like, for five minutes straight, somebody would just recite digits. 
six, nine, one, zero, one, two. And you have to sit there and you have to think, no, no paper, no pencil, no nothing. And then when they're done, after reading like a few hundred digits, they will then say, go, like put it together. And like, you have to memorize the digits. You guys, this stuff is crazy. I tried it on the airplane. It didn't work. I'm trying to play some of these games that I'm seeing on this, on this documentary. And um, in the documentary, they mentioned uh, the guy, his name is Kim Peek, who is, if, you, if you're familiar with that name, he's the inspiration for, the real-life inspiration for Rain Man. You guys familiar with Rain Man? And Rain Man, the, the, the real Rain Man, Kim Peek, was, was just kind of amazing. He could read two pages at the same time. He could read one page with his left eye and read one page with his right eye. They, they said things that you could, you could give him two pages of a phone book. He could read the entire page of the phone book, and then you could close it. You could say a name, and he would just recite the phone number back to you. They said he could recite entire Shakespeare plays from memory, just off the top of his head. Uh, he could name, here's a fun one, could name any day from any date, meaning you could say something like, July 2nd, 1989, and he would say, that was a Wednesday. I don't know if it actually was a Wednesday, but he could, he could think back in those ways and just recite something. The, the, the memory, it was just absolutely fascinating to me and kind of depressing, if I'm being honest. But what was also interesting is, particularly when they were talking about this, this guy, Kim Peek, and I did a little bit more reading, a little bit more looking, um, his memory was incredible, all sorts of facts and figures and all sorts of knowledge. But if you know anything about his life, there's a lot of challenges and a lot of struggles because how many of you know that that type of knowledge doesn't always translate into the day-to-day decisions of how we live our lives? You guys know what I'm talking about. And actually, it made me think about people that I've known in the church that were like that when it comes to Bible verses and theology. And you could, you could ask them, you know, what's, you know, Numbers 11, whatever, and they could recite verses to you, and they could quote this, that, and the other thing about theology, and, and so-and-so says this, and John Calvin says this, and, you know, uh, you know his, his mentor, you know, Philip Melanchthon said this, and they can recite all this stuff. But then you actually look at their life, and it doesn't actually really translate to good and wise and healthy living. Now, I'm not asking you to name any names, but you kind of know what I'm talking about. See, I, I love the scriptures. I love the Bible. I have, I have devoted myself. I mean, this is why I, 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 God's called me to be a preacher and a teacher of his word. Like, I've tried to devote myself to studying and understanding and memorizing God's word and to putting theological concepts to memory. And I want to be able to help people. I feel like God has really clearly spoken to me that I'm to help people know and understand God's word. But I also am deeply committed to not just helping me or you become like these memory games people where our heads are full of a bunch of biblical knowledge, but my sincere conviction, and for all of us as the elder team, our sincere conviction is that these truths are given to us so that we can know how to live lives that honor God. Are you with me? So it's not just about memorizing Bible verses or, or, or memorizing theological concepts. It's about living lives that honor God. Smart people do not necessarily equal wise people. And so this is the big idea that I want to work from today, and it's this. I'm going to give you my definition of wisdom, 
And now I want to work kind of backwards through this. So wisdom is knowledge that is applied in a God-trusting sort of way. Okay? I'll say that again. Wisdom, it includes knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. It's knowledge that gets applied in a God-trusting sort of way. And the book of Proverbs is really all about wisdom. It's the primary theme of the book of Proverbs. And, and so let me just talk to you for a minute about what a proverb is, okay? A proverb. A proverb is from the Hebrew word mashal, which means a likeness. This is like that. You know, a uh, 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 a man who fears God is like a tree that is planted by streams of water, like a likeness. It just, it means something that is like something else. And so a proverb is these short little sayings, oftentimes that are, this is like that, or that is like this. Another thing to understand about a proverb, when we read the book of Proverbs, you, you always have to take the different genres of the Bible into account when you're reading, you know, the book of Proverbs is very different than, say, the Gospel of John. So when we look at Proverbs, Proverbs are truisms, not necessarily a promise. Do you understand what I mean, that that difference? A truism, like something that is, generally speaking, true. But it's not always in every single situation like an ironclad guarantee. Let me give you an example from Proverbs chapter 11. It says, The godliness of good people rescues them, but the ambition of treacherous people traps them. Now, do you agree that generally speaking, if someone lives a good and God-honoring life, that's going to get them out of trouble? You, You guys agree, right? And do you also agree that when treacherous people, I don't know if I ever called anyone treacherous. I might try to use that this week. But just people who are not living wise or godly lives, they get themselves into trouble. You guys agree, right? But is that 100% of the time always infallibly true? Yeah, even the Bible itself talks about these sorts of things. There are Psalms. There There are minor prophets that say things like, Dear Lord, what is the deal with these wicked people prospering? I mean, I've seen this in my own life. I've seen people who are very godly, very mature, very uh, wise in their approach to life, and they're just hard circumstances and, and difficulties come their way. And conversely, I've seen people who are, according to the standards of God's word, fools who appear to be prospering. Now, we can trust the word of God, but we have to understand what a proverb is. A proverb, like this one is saying, generally speaking, If you live your life in a God-honoring way, things are going to go well for you and you won't get yourself into the same kind of troubles that treacherous people get themselves into. So a proverb is a likeness. A proverb is a truism, which leads me to the third point, which is a proverb is situationally applied. Okay? You guys know that song... uh, by the birds, the great theologians, the birds, to everything there is a season, turn, 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 right? They get that from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is another one of the wisdom books uh, of the scriptures. The idea being that there's a time and a season for everything. So when you look at certain proverbs, yes, they are true because they are given to us from God. But there are situations in which certain proverbs are true and other seasons and situations where maybe that's not applicable right for the moment. The best example of that I can give you is in Proverbs chapter 26. And I'll I'll read from the New Living Translation because I think the contrast, the, the way they translate it is brilliant. It says, don't answer the foolish argument of fools or you'll become as foolish as they are. Very next verse. 
Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. Anybody ever look at that like, well, wait a minute. God, I know I'm a little slow. I'm trying to get clear advice and and principles and truths to follow. Which one is it? And the answer is yes, obviously. So there are times when you're in a conversation with someone, and it's obvious that they're being foolish, and for you to engage with them means you're going to sink down to their level. So wisdom applied in that situation would mean bite your tongue. Don't say anything. There are other moments where you're in a conversation with someone who is being foolish, and they're making a foolish argument, and if you don't say something, they think they just won the day. They will become wise in their own estimation, and you have an opportunity to say, like, hey, you need to think about this, or you need to... I mean, this is a lot of what parenting is, amen? Uh, When you're in conversation with your kids. I mean, just think about this. Kids, uh, they don't always know everything, even though sometimes they think they do. And there are times where I need to speak a word of correction to one of my kids, and I need to say, hey, no, and you need to challenge this, because otherwise they're going to go on thinking that they're wise in their own eyes, and they're right in their own estimation. But how many of you parents know that in wisdom, there are times where you just need to let some things go? Because to just continually go around and around with that kid, you're, you're sinking down to their level, or you're causing harm. It's like pick your battles kind of a thing, Right? So when you read the book of Proverbs, they are true isms, and they need to be situationally applied. And then number four, just about Proverbs in general, they're for wise living. The Proverbs are given for action. The Proverbs are not given so that we could sit around with, you know, a cup of tea or kombucha or whatever you're into and just sit there and sit like... Ah, yes, and like little pithy Zen sayings, and somewhere in the background a flute is playing, and you're just, you're just kind of just, you're very disassociated from everything. No, the Proverbs are given for life. Every single day, maybe even every hour of every day, every moment of every day, we are faced with decisions that need to be made. Do I do this or do I do that? Do I not do this? Do I do this thing? Whatever you're going through in life, the Proverbs are given to us for wise living. They're for action. They're not for us to just sit around and meditate on. Yes, we meditate on them, but for the purpose of making wise decisions in life. Now, that's what proverbs in the disambiguation in the general sense are. What about the book of Proverbs as we now have it? So a couple things about the book of Proverbs. Number one, it's a collection. The book of Proverbs is itself a collection of sayings and speeches and poems. It's interesting, um, like these first few chapters of the book of Proverbs, think about the first nine chapters or so, they read very differently than what we think of as the majority of Proverbs. Most of the book of Proverbs is just one-liner, one-liner, one-liner. But these first few chapters are a longer set of speeches, like a discourse given from a father to a son, from King Solomon to his sons. Or if you read uh, like Proverbs 31, which we're going to get to here in a few weeks, I'm going to preach on the Proverbs 31 woman. You guys are going to love it. It's going to be great, okay? Uh, But that's an entire chapter that's like kind of one big long speech. 
And then there's other ones where it's like a poem, and there's other ones where it's like a little saying. So it's a collection of wisdom that even in and of itself has some variety. The book of Proverbs is associated with Solomon, but it's actually written by Solomon and others. And the book of Proverbs tells us this. So Proverbs 25.1 says, These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, that's way later, says that they copied or that they compiled. So far after the time of Solomon, men of the king were gathering these sayings and, and they're writing them down. So not everything in the book of Proverbs was written by the hand of Solomon himself. It was compiled by others. And actually in Proverbs 31, it talks about a guy named King Lemuel, who's somebody else altogether. And, and that's a different conversation for a different time. Nobody knows who King Lemuel is, and maybe it's a a play on words, and it's somebody else who's a pseudonym. We're not entirely sure, but we just know that the book of Proverbs is kind of written by and collected by a group of people over the years. And number three, because of that, the book of Proverbs really are wide-ranging and balanced. It's kind of interesting when you you put on your, uh, your kind of your your lens as you approach the book of Proverbs, Proverbs speaks to a wide range of of people and a wide range of situations, more so than a lot of other ancient wisdom texts do. For example, uh, the book of Proverbs addresses the public life and the private life. Like, um, Plato's Republic, I had to read that a few years ago, Uh, it's pretty much only about the public life. It's just about politics and the city and all that. It's kind of a wisdom book of sorts. But the book of Proverbs deals with public life, government, politics, etc., but also private inner life and your prayers and your thoughts and your heart. Uh, It addresses the working class and the ruling class. So poor people and rich people. It addresses uh, wealth and hardship. Only laziness is condemned. It talks about, you know, righteous wealth. It talks about unrighteous wealth. It it, it condemns uh, laziness and unrighteousness, but it it addresses people at all different stations of life. It it addresses both men and women. I mean, if you you heard it in the scripture reading, and if you continue on in Proverbs chapter 1, you know, my son, my son, my son. So it's addressing kind of a a male audience, if you will. It's it's beneficial for, for... men and women, but it's addressed to men. But then you get those chapters where, where wisdom itself is personified as a woman. That wisdom herself shouts in the streets and calling. And then there's the adulterous woman. There, there's, there's lady wisdom and there's lady folly. There's, there's two women kind of set forth. And then you get Proverbs 31 where, you know, like the highest peak and, and, and picture of character, godlike character is a woman. So there's, there's kind of both happening here in the book of Proverbs. Men and women being addressed. It's very wide ranging. So that's a little bit of introduction to Proverbs. With that said... I want to just take a few minutes and I want to drill down on the nature of wisdom, okay? That's information. Now let's, let's, let's get into the life side of things, okay? So from this introduction, from these verses, we can see a few thoughts. In verse 1, Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, Knowledge and discretion to the youth. So here's the first point I want to make from this. Nobody is born wise. Nobody is born wise. Notice how it's Solomon, the son of David, 
passing on wisdom to his son. And it says, these are given to give prudence to the simple and to give discretion to youth. There are children in the room, so uh, my apologies right now, but children are not born wise. Can I get an amen from any of the kids in the room? Would that be, is that asking too much? Kids are not born. <laughs> well, we'll just leave that one for now. I had, a, I had a, a perfect front row seat to witness this last week. So we were in Alaska for my mom's birthday. And what my mom wanted for her birthday was she wanted to take a camping trip to the campground where we used to go when I was young. And so we went, we got, took, we used to have one camping site. Now we had three. Uh, my sister's family, she has four kids. My brother's family, he has four kids. I have four kids. There's 12 grandkids, plus some other like family friends who are like family and, and other ones who have adopted over the years. And so at one point, at one point, there were 22 children running around uh, at this campground. And I just had a front row seat to witness the truth that nobody is born wise, Okay. <laughs> My daughter, Mackenzie, is the oldest. Uh, one of my uh, nieces is five. So the range is five to 14 years old. And, you know, there are things like there's a lake uh, and swimming. And my brother-in-law bought this giant inflatable circle. I don't know what to call We called it the party platter because it looked like, a, like if you get a big thing of chicken and then there's like a spot for dipping sauce in the middle and like it's what it looked like. So we, the kids were playing on the party platter and they were jumping into the lake. And again, just... They weren't doing anything morally evil, but they just weren't always exercising, what was the word? Discretion, okay? Uh, There was an axe for which to split firewood. There was, oh, the fire that was lit, and we were doing most of our cooking over a campfire. So we've got lakes and axes and fires. We have chemicals like bug sprays. We have uh, all sorts of, there's the, there's the, when did it become popular to roast marshmallows and hot dogs on a metal stick that gets 1,100 degrees in the fire? Like, when did that become a thing? When I was a kid, you had to go find a stick, and you had to find a pocket knife and whittle your own hot dog stick. And which, by the way, takes wisdom too, because someone gave a couple of my nephews pocket knives and they're all running around in the woods with knives. Like, I'm just sitting there watching this like, okay, they're not morally evil. There's a difference between moral evil and just folly, foolishness. Now, foolishness can be harmful and it can lead to evil, but in of itself, Foolishness is not evil. Can you, can you hear that, okay? And, and nobody is born wise. We all have to go through a process of growing and maturing, which is why in the book of James, which some people call the Proverbs of the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you can just ask God and he will give it to you generously with, with no reproach, no, no correction, no word of chastisement or anything. He, he loves to give wisdom. The thing that I think of when I read this verse is like if my kids ask me for like treats or, or candy or goodies, sometimes the answer will be yes and oftentimes the answer will be no. But if my kids come and ask for broccoli, I am always going to say yes because that's good for them, and it's got antioxidants, and it's green, and they tell me that's healthy, and I'm not a scientist, but that's what I've heard. If my kids ask me for cotton candy, probably not. If my kids ask me for something healthy, yeah, I'm going to give it to you. God says wisdom's kind of like that. 
God, I need help. I need wisdom. I don't understand. I don't have the, 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 the maturity or the knowledge to, to get through this situation in life. And God says, come and ask every time. I'm just going to say yes. That God delights in giving wisdom to his people. Amen? So, so let's all remember, we all start out at this point of, we're not wise. We're just not wise. And God delights to grow us. He delights to grow his people in wisdom. Number two, wisdom is more than just rules. Did you notice the word cloud that's used here? Now, I'm reading today from the ESV translation, and you can look in different translations. And this word cloud, uh, it, it can be translated in a lot of different ways. It's interesting. So wisdom, instruction, insight, wise dealing, righteousness, justice, equity, prudence, knowledge, discretion. That word discretion there, I think is the same one. It's the same uh, Hebrew word in Genesis 3 when it says that the snake was the most shrewd of all of the animals. Like it's, it's like, how do you navigate certain situations? Learning, guidance, understanding. Do you see that big word cloud? It's like Solomon is, is trying to kind of pile on overlapping terms, synonyms, and, and generally related words to help us understand that this is a big project. This is a big deal to gain wisdom. And it's more than just following a simple set of checklists to where we can make sure we get everything right. And if you just give me the steps, I, I have these conversations with people um, I've, I've heard this exact sentence said to me either in like a pastoral counseling situation or sometimes in small groups. It's like, I wish God would just tell me what to do. I want, I want the checklist to follow. One of my areas of study this year that just kind of as a side point for studying is I've been studying the law of Moses as, as found in the first five books of the Bible. And just some really interesting things about how we as followers of Jesus relate to the laws of Moses and um, you guys might remember I, when, when Rabbi Matt was here. I mean, we've had lots and lots of long conversations about this. And one of the interesting things that I've, I've kind of learned recently is, or just been able to articulate better, is when you look at the law of Moses, not every law is for every person. And it should be kind of obvious, but like there are some laws that are just for the Levites, and there are some laws that are just for men, and there are some laws that are just for kings, and there are some laws that are, there, there's these kind of different lists. But here's the deal. You could not write a law for every single situation that we face in life. You cannot come up with a rule. You cannot come up with a list of rules or a checkbox for every single thing that we face in life. Amen? And again, I'm going to use the camping analogy because I was thinking about this with my nieces and nephews and my children. How long would it take me to draft up a list of rules that would keep the kids safe. And I was, I was, even for a while, I was just taking notes of everything that I heard. It was usually the moms. I would hear moms and my, my mom, grandma, you know, shouting instructions, like, I should try to write all these down. Because there were a lot of laws that were passed down. You know, one that was like, hey, don't swing the hatchet near the face of your sister. Now, I'm like, that's a good law. I agree with that law. That is, that is good. Uh, <laughs> another one was don't leave the stupid hot metal marshmallow stick just sitting in the fire and then put it near somebody's bare skin because everyone was in a swimsuit, right? There was another one. This was, this was crazy. My, we had the party platter, okay? And the way that you would secure said party platter so it didn't just float off into the lake was it had an anchor, which was a big 
plastic rubber bag and you'd fill it with rocks and then you tied that anchor with a rope to said party platter and the rocks would hold it steady and it wouldn't move around. My 11-year-old nephew filled up the bag of rocks, like 35, 40 pounds of rocks, and filled it up on the shore and then swam it out to the party platter. And I'm, I noticed this because I, I was, <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? Where did Pax, what is he? And then and then like disappeared and then like he like six seven feet and then like we come back up again I'm like oh my god I jump in and I like and I go and take the bag of rocks from him and then I start doing the same stupid thing trying not to drown and I finally get it out to the thing and I secured it I was like that was hey and I said we shouldn't swim with a 40 pound bag of rocks now that is a rule that was then enforced for the rest of the week but like <laughs> if either of us had been exercising wisdom, we might have thought, hey, maybe I shouldn't. Like, I don't need a rule to say, don't swim with a 40-pound bag of rocks. It's just wisdom, right? So, so as we... As we <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There, is, there is no amount of CrossFit that can cure foolishness. Here's the deal. When we live our life according to pure rules. I'm not opposed to rules. The word of God has rules and and we need laws. We need rules. We need statutes. But the thing is, is when we live our lives according to rules and not the wisdom of God, do you know what we miss out on? We miss out on relationship because we spend all of our time focused on the do's and the don'ts, the list, the rules, the precepts, and we miss out on the God himself who wants to shape us and mold us and guide us and teach us by his wisdom. So when we are talking about wisdom, we're not talking about something that's less than rules or different from rules. We're talking about something that actually supersedes that. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the knowing the voice of the God who guides us and instructs us, Okay. Number three, fools only learn through pain. Now, this one is a little less explicit here, but in verse seven, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and other verses say the beginning of wisdom. They're overlapping terms there. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The the wise, if you look at this word cloud, right, again, they're going to learn through conversation, they're going to learn through instruction, thinking, reasoning, prudence, let the wise hear, understanding Proverbs. I like that it says the words of riddles, like riddles are given sometimes for us to kind of think through, and boy, that makes you really kind of think. If somebody is a fool, they're not going to pay attention to any of that. What is left for the fool? Pain and consequences, And you can see that more clearly if you skip ahead to, say, chapter 10, verse 13. It says, On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. Fools learn through pain. Now, I want to say two things about this. Number one, every single one of us has experienced pain and will experience pain because all of us have foolishness in our hearts. Amen? So, so don't use this as an opportunity to think more highly of yourself. Use it as an opportunity to think, oh, that's, that's why I've felt pain at different times in my life. But the other thing is, we're, we're left with this question, will we learn from the pain? Will we learn from this pain? It is not a badge of honor 
to, I've heard people say things like this. Well, I'm just, I'm the kind of person that's got to just learn the hard way. I'm the person that's got to go out and just make some mistakes and kind of learn that way. And it's, it's almost said with this like, like this is some respectable or honorable thing. Not according to the wisdom of God. That's a foolish thing to say. Well, I just got to go out and make my own mistakes. Or you could try to learn from the mistakes of others. And when you do make mistakes, yes, learn from the pain so that you might avoid a more serious pain in the future. Because the problem is, is our foolishness doesn't only affect us. Sometimes the, the pain that comes out of our foolishness goes to other people. Again, I'm really going to milk this camping trip for all it's worth, but uh, this is a silly analogy, but there was a time early on in the camping trip, the first night, fire's going, and somebody said, let's make s'mores. I don't know if it was a kid. It might have been a parent. I don't know. Somebody said, let's make s'mores. And before I knew it, one of my daughters, who shall remain nameless, had handed out metal cattle prod branding sticks to every single one of the 12 grandkids and it handed out marshmallows and it handed out chocolate and it was chaos. I mean, it was like burning man, but with marshmallows or something, right? Like every kid has marshmallows and, and every kid, what, what do kids do the first marshmallow they get of the season? Directly into the fire. And so now every single one of them is wielding like a torch like it's Survivor Island or something like that. And my wife, for those of you who know my wife, wasn't feeling the situation very much. And so she, she enters in, okay, hold on, okay, ah, and she's like trying to blow out, you know, flaming marshmallow torches every which way. And one of the kids, who also shall remain nameless, was waving their marshmallow torch around and goes, you know, Auntie Erin Lynn, will you get mine? And stuck the marshmallow directly in her hair. Which, if you know my wife, you also know she wasn't feeling that at all. Our foolishness, sometimes we're like, well, yeah, I'm just going to learn the hard way. But you got to remember, your foolishness doesn't only cause pain for yourself. It can also cause a lot of pain for other people. It's not a badge of honor to say, oh, I just got to learn the hard way. God's word would instruct us, away from that? Will we, will we learn to limit the damage? Will we learn to uh, grow from our pain so that we don't make that same mistake again? And then number four, this is the most important part. It's actually so important that we're going to have a whole sermon on it later in this series, but it's this. True wisdom fears God. There is no such thing as true wisdom that is devoid of this idea of fearing God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. And like I said a minute ago, knowledge and wisdom are overlapping terms that refer to, generally speaking, the same thing in the book of Proverbs. Again, we're going to have a whole sermon on this later, just this whole idea of fear of the Lord. But let, let me just say, I want to say two really brief thoughts on this idea of fear of the Lord. The first one is that the fear of the Lord means that we have a proper respect for and an awe of God. Like it, it means that we know who God is and who we are. Like a, like a child with its parent, when, when, when our kids and when, when the children are having the right mindset, they, they will listen to a parent because they understand that there's a difference between the age and the experience and the maturity of a parent and, and, and with a, of that of a child. How much more so between us and the eternal, unchanging, wise God? My kid is far closer in wisdom to me than I am to God. 
So true wisdom has this right reverence and a right place of God. You know all things. You created the universe by your wisdom. But there's another thing about the fear of the Lord. I was reading a book over this trip, and um, it's a book about evangelism. And one of the things, that's kind of a, a side point. We'll talk more about that later. But this book about evangelism talks about sometimes we don't evangelize because we fear people instead of fearing God. And this author, Elliot Clark, he lived as a missionary in, in uh, Central Asia, in a Muslim-majority country for years. And, and he talks about evangelism and, and fear. And he just had this really beautiful quote that I want to read to you. It says, when we observe that our problem in evangelism is fearing others too much, we should note the form that such fear takes. We typically aren't running from people in terror. We aren't cowering in a corner. That, that's not what it means to fear the Lord. Like I'm just shaking and cowering. There can be those moments, but usually that's not what we're talking about. Rather, fearing others more than God usually demonstrates itself in trying to please them more than God. To put it another way, you know that you fear someone when you desire their approval and live for their praise. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Lord, I fear you means I want to please you. I want your approval. I want, I want to do that which honors you and, and, and brings your heart joy. And, and in that, I get my greatest joy. Do you guys know that? that your greatest joy and, and, and honoring God, they're, they're inextricably linked together. You can't separate the two. So as I look at all of this, I am studying this and I'm reading and I, and I think to myself, man, there is, there is no way. There are moments where I feel like I'm wise, but how many of you know, if you're paying any attention at all, sometimes you wake up and you have those moments like, I know nothing. Anybody with me on that? Just the situations of life and challenge. There's a few different things I'm kind of navigating right now just personally and a few situations in the church. I'm like, I, I feel like I should be further along than this. I feel like I should be wiser than this. I feel like I should not still have to learn from painful consequences at times. And, and you can look at the subject of wisdom and, all, and you can start to get, I don't know, a little sorrowful or a little depressed. So where's the gospel in all of this? in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. That son of David language, on the other side of the cross, we know, we know, if you read the story of Solomon, he prayed for wisdom, he asked for wisdom, God gave him remarkable wisdom, but, Bible nerds, did Solomon always live with great wisdom? Absolutely not. In fact, his foolish, Solomon's this kind of frustratingly dualistic character because on the one hand, he's so wise and he makes these amazing judgments. On the other hand, he has more wives and more like military horses and chariots than any other king before him, which is explicitly what God told him not to do. So you read the story of Solomon, you read the Proverbs of Solomon, you're like, man, if only Solomon had lived by the wisdom that he claimed, that he, that he received from God. If only he actually lived by what he taught. If only he practiced what he preached. But friends, there is a son of David who did live with perfect wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, the apostle Paul says, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, 
Boast in the Lord. I'm not going to get to boast in my own wisdom. There is one who has lived a perfectly wise life on my behalf. And his name is Jesus. So we can see this throughout the scriptures. We can even see how that lines up with these points I've made. We talk about how no one is born wise. Even Jesus, the gospel of Luke tells us in Luke 2.40, it says that Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. In Jesus, in his earthly life and ministry, he never sinned. There was no moral wrongdoing in him. Amen? However, in the earthly life of Jesus, there is the sense in which he grew and progressed in wisdom. That Jesus went through these challenges of lives similar to how we do, and he had to cry out to not only his earthly parents, you know, Joseph and Mary, but to his heavenly father to seek wisdom of how to navigate the challenges of life. Jesus not only grew in wisdom, he lived beyond mere rules. And you can see this in his interactions with the Pharisees, for example. Like in, in Matthew 20, uh, 23, when he talks to the Pharisees about how you, you tithe, and you tithe all the way out of your, your spice racks and the minuscule things that you have, but you're neglecting, what does Jesus say? The weightier matters of the law, like justice and righteousness and mercy. So where Jesus knew that honoring God wasn't just living by a set of rules, a checkbox that I follow, but there are situations in life that require greater emphasis and, and greater attention and greater wisdom. He lived beyond just mere rules. Jesus, the man of perfect wisdom, took our painful consequences upon himself because of our foolishness. Did you know this, friends? In the book of Titus chapter 3, Paul says that we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sometimes when we talk about the problem, we, we always talk about the problem. I'm not here to give a, a sugar-coated sort of approach to the Christian life. You and I are all sinners, but in addition to sin, you and I are also foolish. And part of what Jesus came to do by living a perfect life and dying on the cross in our place for our sins is to redeem us not only from our rebellion and our sins, but from our folly and our ignorance. How good is that? He saved us, not because of our righteous works, but because of his own mercy. Jesus Jesus did no wrongdoing. Jesus was not a fool who only learned through pain and through consequences, and yet Jesus took all of the painful consequences that we deserve because of our foolishness upon himself. How good is our Savior? And Jesus, number four, Jesus perfectly pleased the Father. Jesus had no fear of man. He only feared God. You might remember in John 8, 29, when Jesus said, I am always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Friends, as we go into this book of Proverbs for the summer, and as we just spend some time, a few weeks, months, camping out on the idea of wisdom, may we always remember that more than anything else, wisdom is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I could give you every principle, and I hope to give principles and, and truisms and, and, and ideas, but at the end of the day, there is no true wisdom to be found apart from who Jesus Christ is. 
And as we spend time with him, as we spend time in prayer and spend time reading the scriptures and gather for worship and eat of the Lord's Supper, and, and as, we, as we go spend time alone with him in prayer, he changes us to be more like him so that we can benefit from the wisdom that he himself embodies. How good is that, friends? So let me just close with this, a couple of thoughts. How, how, do, we, how do we live wisely? Number one, I just encourage you to pray often for wisdom. Just knowing kind of the, the personality makeup of our church community, there are a lot of you who really, uh, I love this about our church. I love that we have a deep passion, a deep love for the scriptures. The, the only thing is that the scriptures tell us that the scriptures don't address every possible situation and scenario in life. If you're looking for like a Bible verse, so like, should I take this job or should I not take this job? Please don't play Bible roulette. Bing! It's like, okay, you know, just that's not how the scriptures work. It's not some sort of magic thing. We are shaped by the scriptures, and then in those situations, we pray, God, I need your wisdom. Which all, leads me to number two, which is we need to share and receive wisdom from others. If we're in community with others, and if they have the spirit of God alive and at work within them, then we can say, hey, what would you do in this situation? And let me, what mistakes have you made? And, and I love that about our church community. There is a deep commitment to relationship and to sharing and receiving wisdom with others, but we can always still grow in that, amen? So we can pray and we can ask God for wisdom. He loves to give it. We can speak to each other. Hey, what mistakes have you made or what wisdom do you have to offer? And then number three, we have to actually take those steps to apply it. All of the prayer and all of the counsel don't mean anything if we don't actually walk in the way of wisdom. If we let fear of man control us, or if we let just our own natural inclinations drive us, God wants to give us wisdom, amen? But we have to apply it to our lives and to the mission that he has given to us. Because if we truly live with wisdom, People who don't yet know Jesus are going to see that. People are desperately looking for wisdom in our world. Amen? Like, pay attention to the news. There's a lot of situations where people need a lot of wisdom. And people are oftentimes not looking to the one true God for that wisdom. But as we embody wisdom, we have an opportunity to display just how good our God is to those who are in need of his grace. Amen? So I'm hopeful and I'm, I'm praying that these next few weeks we would grow as people of wisdom. And now as we go to the Lord's table, we get to meet with wisdom himself, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you that you are wisdom to us. God, we thank you that you took our painful consequences upon yourself. That where we have been foolish and we're we have deserved the rod of correction upon our back. Jesus, you have healed us by your stripes. God, would you help us to live out this wisdom, to apply it to our daily lives, to share it and to receive it with one another? And may we always have our eyes focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Pastor Shane, lead us in communion. Man, I can't wait to talk to Aaron Lynn and see what uh, revisionist history all that was and maybe some of the other stories that were left out. You know, I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, no, good word. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask people to embarrass themselves a little bit or just be gut-level honest. 
Um, who in here needs wisdom today? And if anybody's hand didn't go up, let's talk after service. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, how many of those that raise their hands, you don't have to raise your hand this time if you don't want, but um, how many of those would say that you're seeking God for that uh, on a daily basis? That'd be what I'd ask you to consider. Uh, and as we go forward, for those of us who are Christians and disciples of Jesus by God's grace, um, let's go ahead. Let's open up the communion elements that you got when you came in the room. But I'd also ask you as you open them, um, don't take them right away uh, without thinking and reflecting, which is what we're going to do first. But you can go ahead and begin to open those up. And then we'll hold on to them for a minute while we reflect on Jesus' instructions to his first disciples concerning this memorial meal that we're about to share. Let me read from the word of the Lord. This is the word of God. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself or herself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So here in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that we're each to examine ourselves, to pray and to reflect on our lives for a moment seriously before we take the Lord's Supper. I don't know about you, but I don't Sometimes I don't do that. I, I take it rotely. I, I, I don't think about it and consider it deeply before I take the Lord's Supper. But as the band plays today, let's take a moment and do that very thing. Let's examine our hearts before God. And let's reflect on how God would have us respond to what we've heard this morning about wisdom and about living the God-honoring life. So let's go before God now in quiet prayer. And then when you're ready, you can go ahead and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. <clears throat> 